And open up to Matthew chapter 6. It's good to hear uh, the microphone is working. I had a wedding last night and went through about half the ceremony before I realized the microphone wasn't working. So that was kind of embarrassing. As it, we were in like this small kind of old building with like a block wall, so my voice was bouncing back at me and I thought it was on. It wasn't. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's uh, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. I'll read this. Jesus taught them to pray. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer, the Lord's Prayer. There's an old story that's been passed around about Mother Teresa. She was being interviewed by a famous newscaster about prayer and was asked, well, when you pray to God, Mother Teresa, what do you say? And her response was, I don't say anything. I simply listen. The newscaster said, oh, right, right. Well, then when you pray to God, what what does God say to you? And Mother Teresa said, he doesn't say anything. He simply listens. And the reporter looked at her and kind of stared, and she noticed that he was confused. And she said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it any better than that, what prayer is. What is prayer? Is it, is it it's, it's us communing with God? Is it asking requests of God? Is it praising God? I would answer Yes. Prayer is this way that we communicate with our Heavenly Father. As we started this year, 2018, as a church, we wanted to talk about how we want to focus on prayer, communing with God. Take a month and just say, let's, let's center our lives around this communication with Him. When we do it, we know that uh, not only do we align our hearts with God, we're in tune uh, with Him. But it does something to us. It changes us. And we believe that it also uh, changes the way that we move throughout the world. So we decided not only are we going to look at prayer, but let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at uh, the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Not as something as, that we must do like out of legalism, but we, we see a template here, a structure to it. As we, we look at God and we see him as Father, this intimate relationship with him. We, we know that he's in heaven, he's sovereign, he's above us. There's this reminder of his place in our life. We talk about this idea of the kingdom, desiring the kingdom of God to come here and now. There's, uh, there's action that takes place in this world as we join God in ushering in this kingdom. He's this provider for us. He gives us our day, this day our daily bread. There's this provision that we see as we come to God. He's the sustainer of our lives. And then this idea of forgiveness, to come to God asking for forgiveness as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Tyler, I heard, did a great job teaching that last week as I was in the nursery. Did a wonderful job from what I've heard. But today I want to look at this line, and it's the last line of the Lord's Prayer. And as we've been going verse by verse, we've been taking it slow, and, and, uh, and sometimes I think that's good to do, to move through Scripture that slow. But it's this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 
the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You hear these words like temptation and the evil one. I don't know what it brings to the surface. Maybe in the context of church, there might be kind of baggage with these words. And you think, oh, I hope this isn't a a sermon on legalism. Or this isn't a sermon on, you know, what I'm not supposed to be doing in this world. And, you know, I I come from the camp where I, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he talks about, like, following Jesus is is much more not about avoiding sin as it is, rec- it is uh, uh, living out the will of God in this world. And, and, and we should be focused on living out the will of God in this world. And, and yes, I, I believe that's true, but there's a point where we swing too far. And, and there's a point where we, we, we allow things in our life that become so destructive that they have eternal consequences. And it might start off as something that is very subtle in our lives, and then before you know it, we're at the waste management open on the 17th hole, running around naked, right? I mean, it's like, how did we get here to this place? There are things in our life that, that can corrupt us from the inside out. And as Jesus tells us, as he's, as he's teaching us this prayer, he's saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one. Evil is uh, something also that we, we may not think about much in this world, this idea of, a, of some sort of a, of, of a Satan or devil. And, and, and sometimes we like to think that this is car- cartoony or childish. But when you talk about this idea of the personification of evil that's moving through this world, we start to understand that there is an adversary that we're up against. The scripture describes what, what this is, this evil, this personification of evil, using words like Satan, devil, evil one. There's an image in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. There's this force that's moving in this world that has come. It's a thief trying to steal your life. In 1 Peter 5, it talks about your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Gives it the imagery of, of this predator that is moving in this world, seeking to destroy our lives. Of course, Genesis chapter 3 talks about the serpent, the snake, the crafty, the crafty one who, who basically starts the lie that you, you can find fulfillment in this world outside of something, outside of God, that God has held out on us, and there's things of this world that are, are more fulfilling and better for us. And of course, what we find in, in that story is they consume the things outside of God. It leaves them broken unfulfilled. And that lie seems to perpetuate through this world that that there's things outside of God that we can find contentment in. Our desires are met. And again and again, they're left unfulfilled. There's a really interesting story, I I think that uh, it's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13 about this idea of this, this evil one that lurks in this world. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, it says, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did, not you, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where did Where then did the weeds come from? It sounds like my yard. Where then did the weeds come from? He answered this. He said, an enemy has done this. 
an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? And he replied, no, in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Now there's a lot going on in this passage and and the second half of this passage is almost like a sermon for another day. But when we think about how this garden has been corrupted by the weeds, there's this statement that, that is made that I find great relief in and I also find terrifying. It says an enemy did this. An enemy has brought something into this garden that has corrupted it. Into this field. An enemy did this. When we think about this world that we live in, the life that we live, this life that Jesus calls us to, that is life that is truly life, that is life eternal, that is life that starts now. There's an enemy. An enemy seeking to destroy. As we think through this kind of cosmic story, this narrative of scripture of what's happening, we know that the enemy is not as strong as God. And in fact, it's, is if you've grown up in church, you, you, you've heard the story in the power of the cross that, that Jesus comes, lives among us, and he dies on the cross. And in this death, he defeats evil. He defeats death. He defeats sin. All of the ways that we are broken rises from the dead. We, we know that story, and we know in that story there was a victory that was won that covers up for me, for you, all of our brokenness. And we start to live into that story. But then we also know that as I've come to this moment of transformation where I've understand the story and, and all of the things that I've done that are wrong, God has taken the punishment on the cross, yet every single day I find myself teetering on edge of, of, of great evil. We're constantly wrestling with this. We have decisions that we make every single day. Some days we're better than others. What is that? And yet we look ahead is someday when all of the brokenness is restored and everything's put back together. When Jesus comes back, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. What's going on there? I think one of the best metaphors I heard about this world that we live in is to consider World War II. World War II, I'm a big World War II fan. I really like Dunkirk, that movie came out last year, it was great. Uh, World War II, when the Allies win D-Day, they storm the beaches in Normandy. They get back into Europe. They, they, this is this decisive victory, and everyone knows because of this victory, the outcome is pretty much certain. And yet there was a long time before V-Day, right? There's, to the final victory, there were months that went on. There was the Battle of the Bulge. There were many people who died. There was back and forth and back and forth. And though even though the, everyone knew this decisive victory was won, they still fought in this battle until the final day. And when we kind of come to understand the story that we're a part of in Scripture, we know that the evil one is destroyed and defeated. Yet every single day, we're living in this time in between D-Day and V-Day. And the decisions that we make and the things that we do with our life matters. We either contribute to evil in this world or we contribute to this ongoing story of God's love and salvation and redemption. So the choices that you make matter. And I think this is why Jesus is, is praying this prayer. 
Lord, lead us not into temptation, not into the things that we would try to find fulfillment outside of you that will destroy us, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from those things. Jesus tells us to pray for this, to consider what we do with our lives. There's a couple kinds of, uh, of evil that some theologians would categorize when we consider this world. The first type of evil is natural evil. Natural evil. Natural evil is seemingly senseless but potent, focuses and oppresses and devours innocent victims. And it's usually equated with like earthquakes or tsunamis or fires or tornadoes or disease, cancer. These are these kind of natural evils that we, we know, and Scripture says that all of creation groans. There's something that is wrong as we consider this evil that is in the world. It robs of life. It's not as it should be. But then there's another kind of evil called moral evil. Moral evil, one of my favorite authors defines it this way. He says, it's acts perpetuated by accountable moral agents that result in the suffering of others. It's kind of a mouthful. This moral evil acts perpetuated by accountable moral agents that result in the suffering of others. The consequences of our choices that lead to suffering in other people. And when I think of when Jesus is praying that he would lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, you know, I think there's something there being delivered from like the natural calamity of this world. But I think what he's really getting to the heart of here is this moral evil. The choices that we make. The things that we do that cause suffering in others around us. I think that's what Jesus is speaking into here. This idea of deliver us from this moral evil. What we do with our life matters. The decisions we make matter. We consider kind of evil uh, in this world. Uh, it's weird that the, the word almost kind of loses its sting. Like at some points, you know, like I don't know if it was Dr. Evil from Austin Powers, he talks about evil. And his son's growing up, and he's like, I want to be a dentist. You want to be an evil dentist? Like, I want to be, you know, an accountant. You want to be an evil accountant? Uh, sometimes we might see evil as, like, uh, this picture right behind me, um, an evil empire, <laughs> by chance, yes. <laughs> Sorry, sure. <laughs> and, and we think of things that are, that are evil and powerful and unstoppable, <clears throat> Uh, but then we also hear evil. We also hear evil when we, we consider events that take place like with Las Vegas and the shooting. And we hear that word evil and it has kind of a different feel to it, right? It's not cartoony or humorous. It's this reminder that though there is great evil in this world. And that, that sometimes feels unstoppable as well. Moral evil and natural evil. We can decide to live in them. We could pray for deliverance from them. When I think of kind of my life and things that corrupt me, oftentimes it's uh, maybe not some of your like classic vices in this world, uh, much more subtle. There's things that I, in many ways, uh, find myself falling prey to, that I find fulfillment outside of God, and I find 
my selfishness takes over and it creates suffering and those around me. I think that this temptation to live into that way comes from two, two things. The first is that it comes from the outside. Temptation that leads us into this kind of life can come from the outside. And it could come from the outside in meaning that the who and the what we come in contact with every single day. And there's a, a proverb that says, bad, crump, bad company corrupts good morals, right? And when you think about like the outside influences on our life, uh, the people that we come in contact every single day have an influence on us. Now, this isn't to say that we don't hang out with people that we think are bad. In fact, we see much of Jesus' life doing that. They call Jesus a friend of sinners. But it's this understanding of the outside forces that have influences on us uh, that can cause us to go down this path, an awareness of that. I think this is becoming more and more evident as I consider my own children. I might, think I'm, I might think I'm not vulnerable to it, but then I look at the life of my children and all of a sudden I really care about who they hang out with or, and what they do when they hang out. That's something that's on the forefront of my mind. There's outside forces that are working against us. But then there's also this inside force that's working against us when it comes to temptation. Something within us which is also vulnerable. And I think that the first thing when it comes to the, what is within us that is vulnerable to temptation comes from our weakness. In fact, I think that if, if Satan, the evil one, would, would consider how to, to hurt us, how to bring destruction into our life, how to do things that make other people suffer around us, he would, you would think he'd go for the weaknesses, right? Go for the weaknesses in our life. There's an old pastor friend that's a mentor in my life that uses this acronym, and old pastors always use acronyms. But it's this acronym called HALT. HALT, when it comes to our own weaknesses. HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So when you feel those emotions, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you're in a weak spot, vulnerable to attack. That's something to consider. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, being able to identify that knowing your vulnerability. Once President Garfield was urged to take a profitable but dishonorable course of action, and it was said, no one will ever know you make this decision. No one's ever going to know about it. President Garfield's response was this. President Garfield will know, and I have to sleep with him at night. When it comes to the things that corrupt us from the inside, that come from our weaknesses, oftentimes we think, uh, this is maybe something I can hide. This is something that it's my problem and I can deal with it. No one else has to deal with it. But the truth is it affects us. Something that is inside of us actually can rot and corrupt our soul. And we might not think it makes a difference to anyone else, but the truth is it always affects our relationships. It always manifests itself in different ways. The things that we do from within, from our weaknesses, we're vulnerable to. But then there's another thing. We're also vulnerable when we're strong to temptation. And in fact, I think that this might even be more vulnerable when we're successful, when we've got it all together. We're vulnerable to temptation. Not just our strength, or not just our weaknesses, but also our strengths. We see that in scriptures. King David, when he slips up, it's when he's at the height of his power. It's when he thinks he has it all together. Pride creeps in. We become vulnerable in the midst of our strength as well, temptation. The Romans, I feel like 
in the midst of their craziness, had a very, they were very intuitive with the human condition. They understand the way that we think as humans. And they had something that would happen during great parades, great triumphs, when either a great general or great emperor would return from a victory. And they would go on these triumphs and they would be marching through the streets. Anytime they had that, there was a slave, a slave named Agira, that would follow the general or the emperor. And he would, he would quote this phrase over and over again. It was like a cadence. And the phrase was, Memento mori, memento mori. It literally means remember, you are mortal. You are mortal. All of your great accomplishments, all the things that you've done, remember, you are mortal. You're one of us. Oftentimes it's in our strengths that we're vulnerable to temptation. Oftentimes that's when we find ourselves tripping up. It's the Phoenix Open, and it was there uh, afternoon, Thursday, went out for real early on Friday morning. I have two friends that are playing and uh, love to go out and follow them. But it always reminds me when the Phoenix Open comes to town, there's a certain golfer that's not here. Probably a favorite golfer of a lot of people, Tiger Woods. We remember Tiger Woods' story, this person that's at the top of his game, maybe the greatest golfer we've ever seen, gone the, the biggest run of victories, of majors that we've ever seen. I think we all remember that tragic day when their whole empire just came crashing down. I remember knowing people who were close to that story and the devastation for the whole family as news started to get out of what had happened. Some of you probably remember how the media was all over it. And I remember Tiger Woods gets to this point where it all comes out and he realizes all these things that he's built in this empire that has been built with his own talent, uh, crashes. And he comes out and he issues an apology and a confession. And these words always reminded me of how we're vulnerable in our strengths as well. And Tiger, Tiger said this, he said, and I am the only person to blame. I stopped living by the core values that I was taught to believe in. And I knew my actions were wrong. That I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I only thought about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by. And I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have far, didn't have far to go to find them. I was wrong, I was foolish. I don't get to play by different rules. The same boundaries that apply to everyone apply to me. Pretty strong and sobering words when you think about that. When it comes to the temptations in our life, it's not necessarily when we're weak that we're vulnerable, but it's when we're strong, when we're successful. We start to put our hope in ourselves that we're vulnerable to such attacks. The Lord ends his prayer with this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God tells us this because he knows there's things in this world that seek to corrupt our heart. And his hope for us is to live life full that is truly life. We also know that God, God loves us. And in Romans chapter 8, we know the extent of God's love. He demonstrates his love for us in this while we're still sinners. 
in the midst of our mess, even in our weaknesses, even in our strengths, in the different ways that we mess up that causes suffering to those around us, the ways that we miss the mark. There's this God who loves us desperately. It says that he loves us to the extent that he dies for us. These decisions that we make that lead to death says that God comes and dies for us. That's how much his love is. Scripture also says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And I love that idea that not only does God meet us in the midst of our mess and forgive us, but he purifies us. Purifies us. The idea of purification brings about life. One of my favorite bands uh, is a band called Arcade Fire. I don't know. I'm probably not the kind of person that listens to Arcade Fire, but something about them I really like. And they have this song that I just found these words uh, so beautiful. And, and, And he's, you know, as he's singing, who knows what he's singing about? He's Arcade Fire. But these words have become something that have been meaningful to me in my own prayer life. He says, you change all the lead sleeping in my head to gold. As the day grows dim, I hear you sing a golden hymn, a song that I've been trying to say. Purify the colors, purify my mind. Purify the colors, purify my mind. And spread the ashes of the colors over this heart of mine. And I start thinking about the, in my own life, there's this innocence that comes with purity. It doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to uh, be messed up. But it's the fact that in the midst of my mess, God meets us and brings about life that is truly life. This is the story that we're a part of. And this is the message that we have come to understand. God purifies us. God purifies us. And today as we close, we say this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're reminded that we have this God who loves us and desires life that is truly life. A God that is aware of the things in this world, the personification of evil that seeks to destroy us and says, there's something better than this and you don't have to live in this. And there's this great purity that comes in life with him. Today I want to close with a time of just reflection and prayer. And Tim's going to come back up. And I want to recite this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And my hope is that it would form us to be the kind of people God desires today. And so as we recite the prayer, we think about just these messages that we've heard about the Lord's Prayer over the last month. What is God stirring in your heart today? Is there something that is in there that feels like it's rotting your soul that needs to be just taken out? Is it anxiety that comes from worry? Is it an unforgiveness that you've been holding on to? And you know there's just something not right inside. Today as we recite these words of the Lord's Prayer, let's allow God to just move in our hearts and in our soul to purify us to bring about life that is truly life. And then we'll spend some time uh, singing together.
But if we could rise to our feet and say this prayer as we close out this message series. Join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Lord, let's, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your provision in our life, for you being our Father. And Lord, when we think about this heavy topic that probably comes with a lot of baggage, that has language that brings up things about our past that are unpleasant, Lord, We know when we rest in the fact that you want us to live life that is eternal. That there's an evil one that seeks to destroy us, that would would seek to corrupt our soul, that would separate us from you. You love us so much you don't allow that to happen. You, You intervene. You invite us to trust in this message, Lord. Lord, today I pray that you would meet us here We're in different places in our journey. For some, this might be the first time we've considered the life that you offer. For others, we've heard it over and over again. We pray that you would become real to us today, Lord. That we'd have an encounter with you as our Father. As Sovereign. Lord, that you would nudge that you would nudge us in your direction. Lord, that you would look inside of us. You would pull out the things that don't need to be there. You would lead us not into temptation. You would deliver us from the evil one. Work in our hearts today, Lord. Mold them to be more like you. We pray these things in your name, and we worship you.